we're all so glad that you're here to worship with us. Can we all just have a great time singing and praising our God together? Can we put our hands together like this? All right, sing this with me. What say, Lord, it's you gave me life and I can't explain just how much it means to me now that you've saved me, Lord. I give all that I am to you every day. I can feel like that shines your hand.
Wrong mic, wrong mic. That's my fault. How's everybody doing? Yes, I don't have to ask you to do it again. My mistake made you really energetic, that's great. Hey, we just wanna take a quick moment to say welcome to New Spring Church. We're really excited you're here, especially anybody that's watching online. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have an awesome experience. If this is your very first time here at New Spring, we would really love to hear from you. The only thing you have to do is fill out the talk to us card you received as you walked in. If you didn't get one, there's one in the chair back in front of you. I'm out of breath. I gotta work out. Anyway, we're not gonna harass you, I promise. No interrogations, but we'd really love to just get to know you a little bit. You can turn it into the offering buckets when they're passed, or you can turn it into guest services after the service, and they'll give you some chocolates just to say thank you. We're gonna continue worshiping this hour with awesome music from this great group up here, Praise and Worship. Mark's gonna be up here with the next talk in his New Spring Live series. It's the first weekend, and we're really excited about this message. You're gonna love it. Let's continue worshiping together. Don't let this group sing alone. I'm gonna go drink some water. We'll see you guys later. Come on, can we all put our hands together like this? Come on, everybody. All right, sing this with me. Oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my hope. All right, it's that easy. We're going to sing that again. Trust in you, I put my hope. Oh Lord, my God, in you, I put my hope. In you, in you, in you, I find my peace. In you, in you, I find my strength. In you.
God, as we come in here and we listen to Mark preach, Lord, I pray that our hearts would just be impacted today, Lord. And God, that we can come in here and we can just make that a truth, God, that you can be the center of our lives, God. I pray over some of the people here today that, that just might be struggling with that, God, putting you at the forefront, at the center of their lives, God. I just pray that we would just know when we do that, God, nothing else matters. So God, I just pray that you just come and do something awesome through this new series. And Lord, that you would just have your way uh, with today. And Lord, these services would just be our worship to you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you all so much for singing with us. You can all take a seat. Hey, in just a minute, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward to receive the offering. But before we do that, I want to ask you to think about something today. You know, when you look at an offering envelope or a giving kiosk, or if you give online like Mary Alice and I do, you notice several different ways that you can give your gift to New Spring. Like there's tithes and offerings, and then right underneath that is something called missions. Missions is what we do outside our doors, whether it's here locally in Wichita or someplace in the United States, or helping support well over 100 missionaries around the world. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. Because when you give to missions, you're doing so much more than you can possibly realize. For instance, you're helping those missionaries on a monthly basis. Something happened this week, though, that kind of brought it all into context for me. One of our longtime missionaries had to have emergency surgery. And in the country where he serves, well, it was necessary for him to come up with the money up front before they would do this potentially life-saving surgery. And so when they contacted us, we were able to respond quickly because you gave. So I want you to think about that today. For all of you who give to missions, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And thank you on behalf of so many missionaries around the world who are changing, changing the world and changing eternity. And if you've yet to put a, a gift down for missions, would you think about adding something today, whether you give online or at the kiosk, or if you give using one of these envelopes, think about adding something for missions. You're changing the world when you do it, and only heaven will reveal. Remember, Jesus said when you do something for one of the least of these, you're doing it for him. Thanks, and now would the ushers come forward to receive our offering today. We're about to hear a message from God's Word, so please, put your cell phones on silent. And if you have a child with you who starts to make noise, please step out to the foyer so that others can concentrate on the message without any distractions. 
Connect with other New Springers at our Summer Softball League. Teams are forming soon, so make sure you check out newspring.org softball to find out more and to sign up. If you're ready to go public with your faith, sign up for our upcoming Watermark Baptism Celebration. The last day to register is May 4th, so make sure you register today at newspring.org watermark. New Springs Worship Arts Ministry is looking for talented instrumentalists and vocalists. They're holding auditions Thursday, May 15th, starting at 6 p.m. If you'd like to audition, just fill out an application by visiting newspring.org auditions and a team member will get back with you to set up your audition time. Hello, New Spring. My name is Gordo, and I'm here with an important announcement from Kids World. This is your church's stage on the weekend, and this is your church's stage on FX. Weekend, FX. Kids World FX is a free night of family fun on May 16th at 7 p.m. And it's for everyone. Kids, there's going to be tons of games, tons of prizes, and tons of fun. Moms, for once, you don't have to do anything but come. We don't even care if you wear makeup. And dads, for the last time, stop checking your wallet. Kids World is always 100% completely free. If you are a kid, have a kid, or ever were a kid, then Kids World FX is for you. And it's coming up May 16th. You definitely don't want your family to miss out on this Celebrate Summer FX, May 16th at 7 p.m. right here in the main auditorium. And it's completely free. How's everybody doing today? 
Good, yeah. That, uh, I'm Jesse, like Vinny said. Obviously, everyone knows Mark. We're doing things a little bit differently. Oh, got to ride out here. I love that. That's right. I, I told Mark earlier I felt like we were on the world's largest Lazy Susan. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like a can of soup in a, in a suit jacket. Uh, but yeah, we're doing things differently. It's New Spring Live. That's uh, right. And so it's it's uncut, unedited. Uh, we don't have a script. Somebody asked me uh, before. Maybe we, we could use one. Yeah, we might be able to use one. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's, it's unproduced, uh, which... Now I think about it, that's not too too different from some of the stuff we do. Normally, normally do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Quick, get it together. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be fun uh, because we're just hearing from you guys. Mark's answering a lot of questions. And by the way, doesn't the set look awesome? Isn't yeah. this awesome? Yeah. This is uh, just it's just awesome what they can do. Uh, Wichita landscape, you know, and every guy in here wishes they could just come up here and be Godzilla. You know, I mean, in fact, I was doing that backstage. It's a little awkward because Mark walked back right when I was in. It was. Yeah. Well, what impresses me, yeah. and I love the stage, because yeah. it, it's those wizards have been at it again. Oh, yeah. But the video crew making Wichita Nightlife look yeah. exciting. Oh, that was, was really serious. <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't go to Old Town now. Yeah, I didn't right. know it was that exciting. Did, looks just like New York. It's, it, Wichita is Wichita-some. That's what they say. Wichita-some. That's the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah. I, well, did it, you make that up? It's, it's, it's coming. It's coming. It's you guys coming. help me with that. Uh, City fathers will love Wichita that. Wichita-some. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, we're, we're just asking questions. We got a lot of great questions uh, from you guys, and uh, Mark has taken those and made uh, uh, five big questions he's going to address in the in coming weeks. But there were some questions we just couldn't get to, and so I thought, Mark, if you're good with it, we could talk about those. I haven't heard these. Yeah. Uh, well, the first is one. That a good, is that a bad thing? Uh, it could be. Um, okay. We will see in a couple minutes. I might have to pick up an application to Walmart on the way home. <laughs> Uh, no, but uh, yeah, well, you know, one of the questions uh, everybody wanted to know, and, and really, I would like to kind of nail you down on this, Mark, and get a f solid answer, okay? Solid, just straightforward. What is your favorite series? Can oh, this I just one. get a. Oh, okay, this one. Really hoping I'd get a final answer on that. Yeah. Okay, well, that's all right, that's all right. Uh, you know, there's some other questions. You know, honestly, when you talk about the series thing, mm -hmm. I think that comes from your ADD, you know? If you've ever heard Mark speak, he said, I, I have ADD before it was cool. I don't I know, did. you know, yeah. yeah. Well, I wish I'd known about it. And, and, you know, I think that's where that comes from. But I've always wondered what, I mean, what is that like? Because you think about, you, you say you have ADD. Jonathan has talked about how he has ADD. What is your house like? You know what I'm saying? I mean, can you imagine Thanksgiving dinner? You know, hey, can you pass me the turkey? Mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, pudding. It's like, okay, pick something and stick with it. So confused. You've been to my house? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I've been in a staff meeting with you. It's like you're in a pinball machine. Squirrel. After you're done, you're like, we, do, we, do we decide anything? I just feel like you blew my mind and I don't know where we're going from here. Uh, yeah, but that is awesome. So we're going to have a lot of fun this series, uh, just uh, hearing from you guys. And then also, just talking about those real-life questions everybody has, you know? That's it. And, and so uh, we're going to get out of the way. We're going to start with today, question number, number five. five. That's right. Count down. Thanks, Jesse. Wow, we didn't start out with a slow pitch, did we? One of the biggest questions of life is why, does bad thing, why do bad things happen to good people? And if you wrote a question in, sometimes you might not recognize it because it's often a composite. We put several questions together. And so today I want to read you a couple of versions of the same question. Here's the first one. One of the main arguments most of my non-believing friends have is this. If God is good, why does he allow bad things to happen? He's either all good and not powerful enough to stop evil, or he's all powerful but not good. 
They say if he's real, they don't care because he has the power to stop terrible things from happening to those who don't deserve it, and, and he doesn't. So what do I say to them? And then another version of the question was this. My mother struggles with faith because she doesn't understand why God allows bad things to happen. I've not been able to answer this for her to my own, uh, on my own or to her satisfaction. I think Mark could help her. Well, I really appreciate that last part. I'm not sure about that. But it's the line before that I want you to think about, and that is to her own satisfaction. Um, I remember when I was doing a conversational debate at Wichita State with the student non-theist group, and I remember making a point early in that three-hour debate on the, on, the, on the idea of evidence and proof. Our culture tends to think that evidence is subjective and proof is objective. You know, and if, if enough evidence rises to a particular level, then it qualifies for proof. But what I've discovered in life is it's just the opposite. Evidence is objective. Proof is subjective. You and I can see the same evidence, and it'll prove something to you, and it won't prove it to me. It'll prove it to me, and it won't prove it to you. Proof is in the eye of the beholder. And so I realized from the very beginning that I may not be able to prove anything to you, especially in this short topic, but I just want to like, take you to a scripture that shows you this juxtaposition between evidence and proof. Now, we, we just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago, and Jesus rose from the grave. And so um, in this particular verse, Peter and John run to the tomb. They both look in the tomb. They both see the same body of evidence. They walk away with different conclusions. Look at this. Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. Peter and John saw the same evidence. Peter walked away puzzled. John had proof. And so I'm cognizant of that in all these messages that we talk about difficult topics. For some of you, the things that we'll talk about will prove things to you. Others of you, it's like, well, I'm not really sure that I'm convinced. Um, but on the other hand, the, I just do want to open this up and, and talk about it today, and, and we'll see how far we can get in about 35 minutes. Okay, the question is, if God, if God exists and he's all good and all powerful, why evil? Well, let's just go to the most fundamental place at all, and let's say, does the Bible actually say that God is all good and all powerful? And that evil exists because here's the thing if the Bible never says that then we're, we're dealing with a construct that's not even realistic let's look in Psalm 100 verse 5 the Bible says the Lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through all generations so right out of the box the Bible tells us that God is perfectly good in the sense of being kind or gracious but we read in Psalm 145 that not only is good God good in regard to kindness God is intrinsically good look at this He's good. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. So not only is he perfectly good in the area of being kind, he's also perfectly good in the area of moral absolute goodness. Now, we, we read Jeremiah 32, verse 17. The Bible says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible so you look at those two intellectual brackets you have nothing is too hard for God and all things are possible with God well the Bible tells us right out of the box that God is all-powerful there's a theological word for that that I don't use very often but the theological word is omnipotent so let's just say it right out of the box the Bible leaves itself no wiggle room the Bible says God is perfectly good and God is perfectly powerful now, I don't need to read you any verses about evil existing because you know that's true already. Bad things happen. But here's the big thing. And my non-theist friends, when they, when they present me with this construct, they will say, well, 
You say that your God is all good and all powerful, but bad things exist. So therefore, it can't be true. God is either all, all good and all, pow- all good, but not powerful, or all powerful, not good, or most, most of all, they say you don't really have a God. Now, here's the thing. The Bible, the same Bible that tells us that God is perfectly good and perfectly powerful, also tells us, it gives us a litany of bad things happening to good people. The Bible is not backing away from that. Right up front, it presents to us that indeed God is all good and all powerful, but bad things exist. Now, here's the thing. This is the main thing I want to talk about today. Because again, I'm just, I keep wanting to reiterate, I realize I can't finalize this discussion in 35 minutes. But here's what I do want to get across very clearly today. You and I believe one of three narratives. And that particular narrative drives our whole viewpoint of God and good and evil. And here are the three narratives. And I'll give them to you in short version, then we'll take them one by one in a longer version. The first narrative is only one, one thing is true. You know, we're saying God is all good and all powerful and evil exists. The first narrative is only one of those is true. Evil exists, God doesn't exist. The second narrative, there are a couple of potentials on how this one could, could shape up. The second narrative is God exists, but he's either all-powerful and he's not good, or he's all-good, but he's not powerful enough to stop evil from happening. That's the second narrative. And you may hold to that. You may believe in God, but you may believe that God is limited either in his goodness or in his power. And then the third narrative is this, that evil evil and God exist simultaneously. God exists and evil exists, and there's some sort of explanation for how the two can, can exist at the same time. Now, I want to give you a statement that I wrote, but I want this to be on the IMAG screens because this is where our culture has things very backward, and and it's really important for me to get this across in the very beginning. Here we go. In our culture, it's presented as if our assessment of good and evil inform our viewpoint of God, but it's really just the opposite. It's our viewpoint of God that informs our assessment of good and evil. In other words, people have a look at good and evil, and they say, well, then I'm going to draw my conclusions about God from how I view good and evil. But the fact of the matter is, it's just the opposite. It's our viewpoint of God that causes us to assess good and evil in a particular way. Okay, let's go. Let's start with narrative number one. Evil exists, ergo God does not. Now, I just want to say one more time. I doubt I'll change anyone's mind. If you walked in here today and you say, Mark, that's my position. First of all, I'm delighted that you're here today, and I'm glad that we can have this exchange. Um, But let me just say this. I realize I won't change your mind in 35 minutes, but I just hope to settle for helping you be honest with yourself. Because if you're a non-theist, that's what you're trying to do with me, right? You're trying to help me be honest with myself when you say, how can your God exist if evil exists and and you claim that he's good and evil? You're trying to help me be honest. I will do the same thing with you. By the way, can I say this? Jesse talked about me being ADD. This is an example of that, all right? Let me say something to you here today. Most people, regardless of their viewpoint, feel that they have the coup de grace question to bring the other side to its knees. For instance, Christians always feel that they have the coup de grace argument. I remember when I did the debate at Wichita State, I cannot tell you how many Christians said, did you ask this? And I'm thinking, oh, here's the question that Christians always feel just would bring any atheist to his intellectual knees. What if you're right and I'm wrong? I, have, I haven't lost anything. What if I'm right and you're wrong? Trust me, non-theists have heard that one before. And then the coup de grace argument that atheists have is the one that I just gave you. 
How can your God exist if he's good and powerful and yet evil exists at the same time? So here's the deal. My hope is that if you believe that or if you, you question God because evil exists, I hope that I can at least get you to be honest with yourself for the next few moments. Here's the deal. If you think God doesn't exist because evil exists, I want to ask you a simple question. How do you know evil is evil? What caused you to label evil as evil? And how do you know that it's actually bad? If life is ordered by natural processes, if it is bottom-up Darwinian evolution, and if it is survival of the fittest, and after all, we're just a cosmic accident, then on what basis would you look at any bad thing happening and say that is a bad thing? Suppose a tornado kills 20 people. How do you know that's a bad thing? Suppose a hurricane kills 2,000 people on the coastline. How do you know that that's a bad thing? A tsunami wipes out 240,000. On what basis would you say that that is, is bad? Because if you believe in a pure Darwinian model, that just means more resources for the rest of mankind. It means we're less likely to be overpopulated. Suppose somebody breaks into your house and steals your stuff and kills you. How do you know it's a bad thing? Because how do you know the people who got your stuff didn't deserve it more than you do? And beyond that, you probably have neighbors that think the neighborhood is better without you. <laughs> so on what basis is that a bad thing? If your house is burning down and, you, and you're trapped inside and you call the fire department, and the guys in the fire department, the gals in the fire department, they assess your situation, and they say, you know what, we could risk our lives if we go put that fire out, and they decide to stay at the station and watch television while you burn down. How do you know that's a bad thing? Because after all, survival of the fittest, that person only has one life to live. There's no reason for that person trading his or her life for your life. See, that's the problem I have with non-theists and and Darwinian evolution, I, I just don't think they're purely honest with themselves. Like, they probably don't think I'm honest with myself. Now, I know the answer to the question. The answer to the question is, well, now, Mark, good and evil are possible without God. There was a, an atheist group in New York City that spent some, spent some change this last Christmas putting up billboards all over New York that said it's possible to be, be good without God. I don't know what they're talking about. They're talking about community standards. They're saying the collective have gotten together and they decided this is best for the collective. Well, how did that work in Nazi Germany? I mean, after all, the collective decided that in order to have a super race, we need to get rid of those Jewish people. How did that work in Nazi Germany? How did that work in the South and the United States when slavery was at issue? I mean, because the collective decided that after all, slavery was a good thing. You know what? There were actually people that used the Bible in some contorted, distorted kind of way. Yeah, if it's possible to be good without God. See, here's the, here's the bottom line. There's no getting around this. If there is no certifiable standard of good and evil, then they do not exist. They can exist. If there is no certifiable standard of good and evil, and I, I hand you, this is a circular argument, but here's the thing, if you walked in here today and you said the presence of evil disproves the reality of God, you just lost your proof that God doesn't exist because what we've proved is that evil doesn't exist. So how then do you know, since evil doesn't exist, that God doesn't? Just ask him. Let's go to the second narrative. The second narrative is that God exists, but he's one of two options. He's either good but he's not powerful or he's powerful but not good let's take that first one let's say or the let's go to the latter one let's say that god is um 
powerful, but he's not good. Well, and again, I, can't, I, I just want to tell you, you have to ask yourself what's probable. I, I'm well cognizant of the fact I can't prove any of these, the, any of these narratives. You're going to have to determine what's provable and what's probable. But let me say this. What does your experience with life tell you about God? If you're at least open to the possibility that God exists, but you question whether or not God is good, what has your experience been with, with God? I mean, first of all, look at the availability of food. And it's not present just to sustain. That might be a Darwinian model, but not only is food sustaining life, but it's also pleasurable. I mean, where does that come from? I say to banana yesterday, thought about it. It's delicious. Beyond that, God put a zipper on it. That tells me not only is God good to make a banana for me, he made an easy open package. This is the first time I've said this. My wife and I went to a nursery just to look at the beautiful flowers and things. Tell me why on a Darwinian basis, tell me why all the beauty exists and the colors that we can't replicate. We have chemicals for medication. Ah, somebody says, Mark, humans create medication. No, we don't create it. We just massage the elements that God put in the planet, and now we have them. We don't make anything. What about the prevalence of oxygen and water to sustain life? What about the high percentage of livable climates on the earth? What about the fact that you live in a self-healing body? What about the capacities for human, human satisfaction? And not only the capacity for human satisfaction, but human pleasure. And the relative unlikelihood of disaster, this is a big one. Because oftentimes when disasters come, it draws all our attention to that disaster. And what is the question that we all ask when something bad happens? Where is God? And if you've ever lost anybody in a natural disaster, please understand, I'm totally sympathetic, but you understand we're coming at this from an intellectual standpoint and we're asking a question. Have you ever considered the unlikelihood of your being in a natural disaster? Because if the idea is that God exists and he's cruel, I want you to think about something. Your likelihood of dying in a flood is 1 in 30,000. Your likelihood of dying in a tornado is 1 in 60,000. Of being in an earthquake and dying is 1 in 132,000. In fact, you can take all natural problems of all kind and look at the possibility that you can die in any sort of natural disaster, and the chances are 1 in 3,357. Now, here's the thing. If God is evil and he's looking for an opportunity to destroy people, why isn't that flipped? Why isn't your likelihood of surviving a natural disaster 1 in 3,357? What has your experience about life told you about the goodness of God? Okay, let's take the other possibility with narrative 2. Let's say that God is, is good, but somewhere back along the line, this thing got away from him. He just made, you know, too many people, you know how people proliferate. At some point, the world just got too complicated for him, and now his hands are tied behind his back, and he wants to do good things, but he just doesn't have any power. Well, again, what has your experience with God taught you? You look through a telescope. Does he seem limited? Those of you who are biochemists, those of you who look under the microscope, does he appear limited to you? When you consider the precise, predictable order of nature that we're proud of ourselves because we understand a little bit, much less of creative, but when you look at the precise, predictable order of nature, does he seem limited to you? Let's take narrative number three. Narrative number three is that God exists. He is all-powerful and all-good. 
Evil exists because of sin or rebellion against him, and God is working on a plan to redeem all things. That's narrative number three. And I think you know coming in, that's where I am. But here's the thing, true or false? Even if what I just said to you, that God is good and powerful and that sin exists or evil exists because of sin and God is working on a plan to redeem all things. Even if what I just said to you is not true, let's understand one thing and agree on one thing. That is what the Bible says. If you're holding a Bible in your lap or if you have it on an electronic device, that is the message of the Bible. In fact, here's the thing. The Bible proclaims for anyone who is willing to listen. The Bible goes out on a limb to say bad things are going to happen in this world. The same Bible that says God is all good and all powerful is filled with references that bad things will happen in this broken world. Job said this, how short is life, how full of trouble. We blossom like a flower and then wither and like a passing shadow we quickly disappear. Paul wrote, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. Look at that, persecution. God's not, God's not surprised at that, nor is he trying to fool you. The Bible says even a person who wants to live for God will still suffer persecution. And then in verse 13, it says evil people will flourish. Oh, look at that. People who want to do right will suffer, and people that want to do wrong will appear to flourish. God's being straight up with you. In John 16, verse 33, look at Jesus' simple statement. In this world, you will have trouble. So, there's no deception here. God has said very clearly, God is a, per a God of perfect love and perfect power. It is a broken world because of sin. God is working to redeem all things. Now, I want to do something this weekend that I've never done before in all my years. I want to give you six verses of Scripture that tell the whole story of mankind. If you ever, like, want to just... Have the Bible summed up. Have this whole argument summed up in just six simple verses. I want to give them to you now. Pardon the term. You're going to see an evolution of what has happened in the world with these six verses, okay? Okay, let's start with the first one. This is in Genesis 1, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So when you see the world created the way God made it, it was all very good. There was no disaster. There were no floods, storms. No stickers, there, was, there were no rapes, there were no murders, there were no bad things happening. When God looked at the world he made, it was all good. And you remember, God told the first two human beings, look, you can have everything you want, just don't transgress the one law I give you. And he said, if you do, you will die. What happened? They did. And after they did, look at God's response to them. This is verse number two in Genesis 3. The ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground. So notice the characteristic of the world that you and I live in. Because of sin, there is the presence of negative aspects, thorns and thistles, but God has still left the positive qualities of his creation in the world because he said you will have grain to eat. Well, we see the final outcome of sin in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Now, if the story ended right there, it would be like the Kansas song, All We Are is Dust in the Wind. When this life is over, we're finished. Pack our bags for hell. But God is a loving God. Here is verse number 4, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him 
does not perish but have eternal life. So now God has worked out a plan. Remember, God is perfectly good. Sin brought evil into our world. God is busy redeeming all things. With Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us, now there is a plan for personal redemption, for individuals to step out of the broken world and head toward God's plan of redemption. Now, what about believers, you and I? Because a lot of times we can ask the question, if God is all good and all powerful, why do bad things happen in my life? Well, in the interim, while we have accepted Christ and we become part of God's plan of redemption, we're still living in a broken world, but God has something for us. Romans 8, 28. And we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God doesn't say everything is good. It's a broken world, but God is saying, look, while you're waiting for final redemption, I'm going to make everything work together for good in your life if you're a Christ follower. And then number six, Revelation 21, 5, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. You see where it starts? You see where it finished? God's an original creation. God saw that everything is good. And ultimately, Jesus said, I'm going to make everything new, and the world will be forever the way God intended it to be. And you and I call that heaven. That's the story of mankind right there with narrative number three. I know. Somebody's saying, Mark, I, I still don't get it. And, and I realize that. I, I never promise to prove anything to anyone's satisfaction. And then proof is subjective anyway. That's going to be your call as to which one of these narratives you believe. And, and I realize you can walk out of here and you can believe any of them. And, and I hope you always feel comfortable about that here at New Spring because I don't want to jam anybody. I just want to sit at your table. But mostly I just want to identify the three narratives. But I've got one more thing to say to you in closing. I was speaking in Ohio last week on Saturday and Sunday at a great church up there. And I was in worship. And while I was worshiping, they sang a song that had a lyric that went something like this. The one who committed no sin paid for all sin. And as I stood there worshiping, I started thinking about that. And I thought God was giving me a sermon. But when I realized what I was going to talk about when I saw the questions that you set forward, I realized that God had given me the perfect ending for this sermon. I want you to think about something for a moment. I want you to imagine, if you will, a linear scale or a number line with zero in the middle, positive numbers on one side, negative numbers on the other side. And let's call this the injustice scale. Hey, can I tell you something? There's nobody but you and me here and those watching online and the television cameras. Could I tell you something? you do realize that injustice like a coin has two sides. See, if you deserve better than you get and you have bad things happen, we all know that's injustice. But on the other hand, if you get better than what you deserve, that's injustice too. Strange, isn't it? We call one injustice and we call the other luck. But they're both injustice. See, if you imagine this number line with zero in the middle, let zero represent perfect justice. You get exactly what you deserve at work, to the penny per hour or salary, you get exactly what you deserve. Whatever kindness you give out, you get it back in equal measure. Whatever meanness you measure out, you get that back in equal measure. Zero, let zero be perfect justice. You get exactly what you deserve. And now, let's go negative. Well, not very far, just, just a little bit to the left of zero, okay? 
Let's say here's a person who should be getting $50 an hour, but she gets $20 an hour. That's injustice. That's not fair. People should earn what they deserve. Let's go a little bit further, a little bit further down the, the negative injustice linear scale. Let's just say here's somebody who works for a company for 30 years and puts everything into it, loves the company, company guy, you know, first person there, last person to leave. It isn't just a job with this guy. He, he loves the company. But he gets under new management, and all of a sudden he walks in one day after working somewhere 30 years, and they give him a pink slip. And beyond that, to add insult to injury, they have security escort him out to his car. Well, that, that's negative injustice. Let's go a little further down. Parents. Parents sacrifice to raise good kids. And they spend, you know, I don't know, somebody said it takes a quarter million dollars to raise a kid. Now I think it's even more. They, they, you realize, by the way, if you're a kid here today and you think, I don't, I'm not happy with my parents, you do realize your dad could have a Bentley <laughs> if he didn't have you. They love you more than, they, than you think they do. Uh, but let's, uh, how do I get off on that? <laughs> go, yeah, ADD, thank you. <laughs> Let's go a little further down the list. These parents, they, 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 they do everything they can to raise a kid. Right. And this kid grows up, has no time for them, hates their guts, tell them, tells them that they're, they're responsible for every problem in his life. Well, that's injustice. Let's go way down the scale of injustice. Sweet child gets cancer. Well, there's a big disparity there in what the child deserves and what the child gets. That's big injustice. Let's go a lot further down the list. Six million Jews living in Nazi Germany and surrounding countries. And Adolf Hitler and the powers that were decide that in order to have a master race, they have to get rid of inferior people. And so they put six million Jews in boxcars and transport them to ovens where they're gassed to death. That's a huge disparity of injustice. Let's go all the way to the end. Let me ask you a question. If you went all the way to the end of the scale of negative injustice and you found the greatest disparity between good deserved and evil happening, what would you find? You would find God hanging on a cross. And you tell me injustice disproves God. Let's go back to zero. Let's go the other direction. Let's begin to talk about getting things that you don't deserve, positive injustice. Now let's just go a little bit to the right of zero. And let's just take a person who, who gets more than he deserves. He's a lousy worker, but, but because of something built into the contract or built into the situation, he gets a lot more than he deserves. And that, that's positive injustice. Let's go a little further up scale. You got somebody that... You know, they're not the smartest person in the world. They go down to Quick Trip, buy a lottery ticket, buy just one. And they win the mega millions or whatever you call the thing, and they, they have millions of dollars. Well, that's positive injustice. We know that. Let's go up the line further. Lord knows I've seen this happen. You got a lousy guy. He marries the greatest woman in the world. He cheats on her. He lies to her. He treats her badly. But she loves him. Man, she loves him with everything she's got. That's positive injustice. Well, let's go way up the scale. Let's take Japan. 1941, sucker punch. They bomb Pearl Harbor. Kill our soldiers, kill our airmen. 
that with no warning, cowardly attack. We get into a war with them, and we beat them soundly. You know what we do? We rebuild their country. Instead of putting our foot on their throat, we rebuild their country. And in large part, their robust economy they enjoy today goes back to the fact that the United States was good to a nation that sucker punched it, bombed it. That's positive injustice. I read a story this week, a little farther up the line, about a woman who killed somebody in cold blood, and the governor pardoned her. That's positive injustice. But what would you find at the end of the scale? The ultimate disparity between evil deserved and good happening? Well, honestly, you'd find me, a sinner, flawed and broken, who, like I've told you, I can't go 30 minutes without doing something wrong. And you would find a God who loves me anyway. A God who loved me so much that he went to the other end of the injustice scale and offers me forgiveness in part and free and heaven for eternity and adoption into his family. And you told me injustice disproves God. With all due respect, you're going to have to try that on somebody else. Our Father God, Lord, I know we haven't even begun to answer all the aspects of this, and I don't have the intellectual horsepower to do it. But I pray your Holy Spirit will somehow just take some of these frail words that I've spoken today and help us to understand that you are a good and loving God, and you have all power. And we live in a broken world because of sin, whereas you've told us honestly bad things are going to happen, but you are working on a plan and that plan will result in all things being made new. Help us to grasp it. Help us not only to grasp it intellectually, but for those going through suffering today, help us to grasp it in a real and meaningful kind of way. To grasp it as a promise that you've given to us. In Jesus' name. Now pray with me just a little longer. I shared with you a moment ago, at the end of the lines of injustice, negative and positive, you have Jesus dying for your sins, and on the positive side, you being offered forgiveness and an eternal relationship with God. I believe that narrative. I've staked my soul on that narrative. And it could be that you're here today and it's finally clicked for you, or maybe it's just clicked in a special way, and you want to have a relationship with God. Well, it's all a gift. It isn't what you do for God, it's what God has done for you. God put his son on the cross in order to redeem you, to bring you out of a broken world, put you in a world set right. And you say, well, Mark, how do I have that relationship? Well, how do you receive any gift? You just reach out and take it. And so I'm going to do something in a moment. I'm going to pray a prayer that just reaches out to God. And if you want to join me, you can. Okay? These aren't magic words. These are just words that you need to own and mean. So I'll say them slowly, and you can decide whether or not you want to say these things to God. You ready? Dear God, I am a sinner. I live in a broken world, and I've contributed to that brokenness. But I believe you love me unconditionally. I believe you made a way for me to be right with you. 
by your son Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, I have a gift I want to give you. All you got to do is go back to guest services. There's a big one in the lobby, a little one back by the coffee shop. You can just check your talk to us card. It says, I prayed with Mark. There's a, a DVD in here. There's a book I wrote and also a coupon for a new Bible. I promise you this will answer a lot of questions. I'm so glad you guys are here today. By the way, if you're interested in being baptized, this is the last day to sign up before our next watermark. So think about that. If you want to let us know, you can take your Talk to Us card, give it to one of the First Impressions people, or just leave it back there at the desk, and we'll help you get set up with that. God bless. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon.